Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We start a new series today. It'll be a four-part series that will take us uh, through the Christmas season. It's entitled Beyond uh, Bethlehem. Uh, so, you know, it's Christmas time. For some of you, that might have made you a little bit nervous because you're thinking that means it's going to cost you a whole lot more money this month and then the next month and the next month after that as you finish paying for it uh, probably than it, than it would normally. Uh, so some of you might got really nervous by thinking about it being, being Christmas time. Uh, we get caught up in, in so much stuff at Christmas anymore. I'm afraid sometimes we fail to forget what it's really about. At Christmas, we need to have this thing of Bethlehem upon our mind. We need to be focused upon uh, Bethlehem and what Christmas is really about. Christmas is about a whole lot more than decoration and trees and gifts and everything that we try to make it uh, about. So we're doing this series that we've called Beyond uh, Bethlehem. Now, we're going to be spending... Uh, the next four weeks, hanging out in Luke chapter 2, uh, and kind of take a few verses at a time. Uh, and today, as we think about uh, beyond Bethlehem, the, the thought of beyond Bethlehem is this. While we need to be thinking about Bethlehem, uh, what happened at Bethlehem uh, has an influence or should have an influence, an impact on our life as Christians beyond Bethlehem. These things that we're going to be looking at ought to affect us to where we are challenged uh, and engaged, not just by this thought of Bethlehem, but we need to be engaged ourselves in going beyond Bethlehem, doing the things that we ought to do because of what Jesus did for us when he he came. And uh, today we're going to ask the question of of why Bethlehem. Uh, Anyway, verse 1 through 7 is where we're going to be at today. In those days, a decree went out. From Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Some translations say tax. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place or no room for them in the inn. Why Bethlehem? Why did that happen? Why was that the chosen place for Jesus to be born? Why did everything happen there in in Bethlehem? We're going to see three main answers to that today. The first one involves this. Jesus being born in Bethlehem emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Jesus being born in Bethlehem emphasizes for us the sovereignty of God. Now, hopefully that's not a new term for you. Sovereignty simply means he's in charge, that he is God, that he, that he rules. And the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem ought to emphasize that for us. Verse 1 through 3, I, I read it just a moment ago, said in those days a decree, in other words, a law was made by some political figureheads, by some political government authority in that day, went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. If you just do a quick reading of that, you may come away with the idea that, uh, all right, this happened. They had to go to Bethlehem because of what the government said. Uh, they had to go to Bethlehem because there's these political powers or government forces that are powerful in that day and time. And they make this law, this decree, that everyone had to go and be registered. The background of that is every 14 years, Rome would take a census. Rome would take the census for two reasons every 14 years. They would take it for taxes, so they'd be sure they were getting their tax money from the people that were alive. Uh, But they'd also do it for military reasons. And and while no one involved in Israel, the Jews were not going to go and fight in the army uh, for Rome, they were still taking that census all across the Roman Empire uh, to number people and just see, you know, what the strength of their army could be. 
And uh, each Jewish male had to return whenever this would happen to the city of his fathers to record his name, his occupation, his property, his family, and things like that. Luke gives us more details about this than, than anyone else. Now, Luke, the background of Luke is that he was a physician, but also an historian. And a lot of people imply this, that just maybe Luke recorded this because of, of him having been a physician, just maybe he cared for Mary. <laughs> and uh, maybe Mary told him some of these stories directly. Which to me, I think, is a neat concept that might very well could have happened. Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor. His original name was Octavian. But his name was changed by the Roman Senate to Augustus to honor him. The word for Augustus means reverend. Now, I'll come back to that in just a moment. (laughs) He reigned from 27 B.C. to A.D. 14. He ruled the Roman Empire, was known for being a really good administrator, also ending the civil war and bringing in peace and prosperity to the Roman Empire. Augustus was the emperor who, be, who began what was called the worldwide Pax Romana, which meant Roman peace as far as the world that they knew it. The only problem with that is this, only Jesus Christ brings peace to the world. We scratch our heads and we look at everything that takes place on the world scene today. And we're thinking, well, if somehow we can just get the right political leaders in place, then all that will go away. I'm sorry, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars until the Prince of Peace reigns on his throne. He's the only one that brings peace. He's the only one whose name ought to be Reverend. <laughs> Not Augustus, that's what his name meant. They named August, the month of August is named after Caesar Augustus. They did that in order to honor him. So when we think about those political forces and Quirinius there being mentioned as a governor, we might come away with the idea of, well, that happened. Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem because these political powers were in charge. But you see, that's not the case at all. Because the political powers might have thought they were in charge, but they were simply pawns in God's plan. God had said this. He said, behold, and Isaiah had wrote these words, behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. (laughs) Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. You want to get a picture of how big God is and a picture of the sovereignty of God. What Isaiah was simply saying, God saying it through the pen of Isaiah, he was saying, look, I'm in charge. The nations are just like a drop in the bucket. I can take up the coastlands just like fine dust. We live in a day and not trying to make our day different than other days because everyone needs to understand that there's a sovereign God. But I'm telling you, we live in a day with, with, with the current events that are taking place in our world that we need to understand there's still a sovereign God. Because we can hear the events that have taken place just this past week in California, other places around our world, and we can come away almost trembling in ourselves and thinking, what in the world is going to happen? How will we make it? What's going to take place in the future? And you and I as Christians, we need to hold to the fact that there's a sovereign God who is still in charge, who still rules and still reigns. See, the sovereignty of God, the reason I'm talking about the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God was true in the birth of Jesus. Joseph and Mary didn't go to Bethlehem because of this decree taking place. Micah tells us this, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, those who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, it was thought of as a small depressed place, not an important place at all. From you shall come forth for me one who is a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. See, here's the truth in the matter. Caesar Augustus might have thought he was in charge, but he wasn't really in charge. He might have been the one that put out this rule, this law, saying everyone has to go to their city and be taxed. 
But God was the one that's controlling history. God is the one that was in charge. God had already said in advance in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that that would be the place that Jesus would be born. Greg, can you, I think, okay. There in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The sovereignty of God is true in the birth of Jesus. Caesar made the law, but God is the one that caused it to happen. They traveled about 80 miles. In our day and time, we wouldn't think 80 miles was very difficult. But to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 80 miles. It would have taken three days or longer when you're taking a pregnant wife on a donkey. (laughs) We can go 80 miles and not even think about it in our culture. To them, it was a very difficult thing to happen. Caesar's not the one that caused it to happen. Caesar Augustus, it was not up to him. He might have made the rule, but God was the one that was in charge. God had already said in history past that that would be the birthplace of the Messiah. He had already said that he was going to send the Messiah and he would be born there in this place called Bethlehem. All of the scriptures said this. It said, just as the scriptures had proclaimed, Caesar might have played a part, but God was the one that was controlling everything. Some quotes, A.T. Pearson says this, history is his story. You've heard me refer to that before. Break apart the word history and you can come up with this thought of his story. And that's what history is. It's all about Jesus. President James Garfield called history this, the unrolled scroll of prophecy. God has said it, but the history that we see is prophecy unrolling. Be nice to hear our political leaders refer to things like that now, wouldn't it? A lady by the name of uh, June Osborne said this, The twist in the story is, of course, that it is the very pagan authorities who are responsible for bringing Jesus to Bethlehem. Caesar, like Cyrus before him, unknowingly becomes the servant of God's purpose. The promise is fulfilled through the actions of the unlikeliest people, in other words, pagan leaders. For God is the Lord of all the earth, and there is no power, not under his authority, no poverty to which he turns a blind eye of indifference. In other words, I'm just simply trying to make this point. God is a sovereign God. God orchestrated the birth of Jesus in his timing. At the time he wanted it to take place, he brings Jesus to Bethlehem. Now, why is that important for us today? Because you see, what was true in the birth of Jesus, you need to trust in in your life. You need to trust in God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of God needs to be trusted in your life. Think about this. If God controls nations, if God controls political leaders, if if God controlled the law being brought out at the exact timing that he wanted it to take place to where his son would be born in Bethlehem, If God was in charge of all that, if he orchestrated all that, here's the deal. The God that orchestrated and cared for all those details, even causing government leaders to bring about laws to where his son would be born in Bethlehem at the exact time he wanted to take place, that same God can take care of your life. That same God can order your affairs if you will allow him to. That same God can care for you no matter what it is you might be facing. He can take care of your life. What we need to do is believe this. We need to remind ourselves and believe that God's in control no matter what is happening. That God is still in charge. Even though bad things might happen. Some of my point to California and say, were you telling me God was in charge? I'm telling you, I have a finite mind, and God has an infinite mind. I don't understand everything that's taking place, but I believe the Bible over circumstances, and I believe that somehow God was even in charge in those terrible murders that took place with terrorists being involved in it. This past week in California, I still believe God somehow is in charge, and God somehow is going to work his good out of it. 
Romans tells us this, and we don't need to use this in a flippant way, but Romans 8 still tells us we know that for those who love God, you need to be sure that's true of your life, that you love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, it's his purpose that we need to be concerned about in this world, in our lives. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is the one that's in control. God sees us so clearly Being his children, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it's as though you're already glorified in the mind of God. That's how sure your salvation is. God is a sovereign God, and if God can control your eternal destiny to that degree, I promise you, God can take care of you. That might not mean that God will give you everything you want, but I think God promises he'll give you everything that you need, that God will provide for you, and we need to live for him and follow him and serve him in this day and time. Don't get so distracted by all the events that's happening all around us. Should we be concerned about them? Yes. Should we be praying? Yes. Should we serve God more than ever before? Yes, we should, because the way you change the world is one life at a time, by leading people to faith in Jesus. But we need to understand that God is a sovereign God, and believe and trust in Him. Allow that to be what gives you your comfort. Who's in charge anyway? I mean, if if God is the omnipotent, all-powerful God, He has to be the one that's in charge. The Romans ruled the civilized world in that day and time, and they thought they were in charge. By contrast, Joseph probably ruled very little and owned very little. A carpenter probably living in poverty. And Joseph was caught up in maybe forces larger than himself. Joseph didn't want to have to do what the Roman government told him to. Because he was a Jew. He did not want to obey these who had come in and and invaded his homeland and taken it over. He did not want to obey that law, but he had to because he was caught up in circumstances larger than himself. And he had to do it anyway, whether he liked it or not. And what I'm telling you is this. A lot of times I think we feel like we're caught up in circumstances larger than ourselves. Amen. We get caught up in situations that we feel like maybe we don't have any control and power over. And the truth of the matter is, we really don't. And yet God still provided for Joseph. He still helped with him and Mary on the way to, the tree, on, on the way to Bethlehem. God didn't necessarily soften or take them out of that trip, but God strengthened them for it. And God might not take you out of an appointment in your life, but God can strengthen you and he can protect you and he can guide you through it. Was it fun for Mary to be pregnant, going 80 miles, a three-day journey, just about ready to deliver? Would that have been fun for her? You ladies that have been there would say, no. Amen? And yet that's what she had to do. Might not have wanted to, but that was her lot in life in that moment. And I'm simply telling you this. We get caught up in things that we might not like the circumstances of, but it might be our lot of life in the moment. And what we need to understand, God is still a sovereign God, and God can protect us, and God can strengthen us, and God can get us through it. God is still in charge, not the circumstances. Let me boil it down for you. ISIS is not in charge. God is. Terrorists are not in charge. God is. Our government is not in charge. God is. And that's why we need to have a focus that we're trusting in the sovereign God. That doesn't mean life's always going to be easy. That doesn't mean you'll never face any difficulties. That situation for Mary was not easy. Traveling that far was not easy. Near childbirth wasn't easy. Joseph's situation wasn't easy. Joseph had to accept the fact that this lady that was betrothed to him, who they had really, really stringent rules in that day and time, to prove that, they, that, the, that the woman was still a virgin at the time of marriage would take place. Went to extreme detail to be sure that was the case. 
And in that culture, Joseph has to accept this thought that's given him. Honey, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it's God's child. I've not been playing around with any other men. I've not been cheating on you. Holy Spirit come and hovered over me and now I'm pregnant. Hey guys, be honest. Huh? Tough pill to swallow, huh? And he really didn't believe it to start with because he was going to put her away privately, the Bible says, until an angel appeared to him and told him and verified the exact story. That what was conceived in her was by the Holy Spirit. And that it was going to be Jesus and he was going to save his people from their sins. But still, that was a hard pill for him to swallow. It wasn't easy for him. It would not have been easy for him on the other side of it. This is his betrothed wife. And yet, he allows her to be a virgin until after Jesus is born. He did not have any kind of relations with her until after Jesus was born. This is betrothed wife. The only thing he had to do to seal the marriage in that day and time in their culture was for them to consummate the marriage. And yet he didn't do that. He didn't give in to fleshly desires. Wasn't easy for any of them. And it's not easy for us many times. That's why we have to be convinced that God's a sovereign God. And that we're going to trust in him no matter what our lot is. No matter what comes our way, we need to trust in him. Why Bethlehem? Bethlehem emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Bethlehem also does this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Him being born in Bethlehem fulfills the promises of God. The promises of God. God had foretold, God had promised in prophecy that he would send the Messiah. Verse 4 and 5 says this. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. God said he would send a Messiah. God gave some specific criteria. We talked about this in detail in the last series when we were uh, talking about true life and we're talking about who the Messiah was and the evidence of the Messiah. God gave specific criteria so people could recognize the Messiah when he came. Here's part of the criteria. One, he would be born in Bethlehem. We've already read that a moment ago. He would be born in Bethlehem. God has said through Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2, that is the place where he would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. To me, that's a really good place for the one who's the living bread to be born. Amen? Because Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He's not talking about a physical hunger. He's talking about a spiritual hunger. When we come to Jesus and we trust in him, there's this emptiness in our life that is filled that can be filled in no other way. And once we come to Jesus and we place faith in him, there's no need for us to be spiritually hungry ever again because he's the bread that we need. He's the one that fills up the hole in our heart, the hole that we have in our soul. He's the bread of life. It's a perfect place for Jesus to be born, Bethlehem, house of bread. Another part of the criteria was this. He had to be of the lineage of David. So what we read a moment ago was this. They went to the city of David because he was of the house and lineage of David. Bethlehem had a rich historic past, including the death of Rachel, the birth of Benjamin, the marriage of Ruth, and the exploits of David. It's worth when we think about Bethlehem knowing a couple of things about this. Benjamin, his name meant son of my right hand. And David's name means beloved. Both Benjamin and David was keenly involved in the past of Bethlehem. So when you think about those two titles, those two titles apply to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the beloved son. Luke chapter 3, verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, thou art my beloved son, in thee I'm well pleased. And also in Psalm 110, verse 1, we find out that he is the one at God's right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for your feet. Both the Messiah 
through Jesus and Mary, both can trace their lineage to the lineage of King David. So when he is born through Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, it fulfills a prophecy of him being part of the lineage of David. Here's some other scriptures that teach that. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, David's father. (laughs) And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That was not about David. At the time Isaiah wrote this, David was dead and gone. He's writing prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Jeremiah 33 verse 15, in those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd talking about Jesus. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes criteria that Jesus is the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, of the bloodline, of the lineage of David. But also God promised David that his house and kingdom would stand forever. The Bible says this in 2 Samuel, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise because we go to Hebrews 1.8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. By the way, in case you ever have someone that doesn't know what they're talking about, try and tell you Jesus is not God. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is God. That verse I just read you in Hebrews is God the Father calling God the Son God. Do you see that? And he's saying that you will reign forever. God had proclaimed that the Messiah would also be virgin born. In Isaiah, we find this, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. And we find the fulfillment of that when we start reading in Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, in other words, she's still a virgin, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, talking about Isaiah, what we read just a moment ago, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. God keeps his promises. We're talking about God having promised that he would send his son, a Messiah, into the world. And we're looking at all this criteria that's given in Scripture, telling us that he kept his promise, that he sent his son into the world. And the very first promise of the Messiah is found here. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to Satan, the serpent. In between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall shall bruise his heel. Satan bruised the heel of Jesus at the cross. Jesus took his life back up and crushed Satan by taking his life back up. One day he will literally crush Satan. But that's the first promise we're given of the Messiah, that he would come. Now, that's going to lead into what I'm going to finish up talking about in just a moment. And that is the reason why Jesus came. 
But what I'm trying to encourage you as you go through this Christmas season, a lot of people get really depressed at Christmas. Isn't it tragic that Christmas is one of the times of year that we have the highest suicide rate of any other time in the year? A lot of people get really discouraged at Christmas. A lot of people wrestle with things in their past at Christmas. A lot of people get depressed over Christmas gifts and what they can spend or can't spend or whatever it might be at Christmas. I'm reminded every Christmas, and you guys know this, you've heard me talk about it before, because my dad was murdered on December 21st and buried on December 23rd when I was 11 years old. But that doesn't leave your mind. And I'm reminded of that every year. Christmas comes around. Christmas is not always a joyous time for people. Add to that the time that we live in today and all the tragedy and the terror that you see taking taking place across our world. What I'm wanting to do is encourage you this morning and tell you this. Number one, God's a sovereign God. Number two, God keeps his promises. Other people might not, but God does. God keeps his promises. That doesn't mean you won't ever have any troubles in your life. That doesn't mean everything will be a cakewalk. That doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect and fine in your life. That doesn't guarantee that you're going to have comfortable lives. But what it does guarantee is this. God keeps his promises in everything all the time. And no matter what you're going through, God's there if you have faith in Christ. No matter what you're going through. Which leads us to the third thing about why Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And by Jesus being born in Bethlehem, what it does is this. It established the incarnation of God. It establishes the incarnation of God. What did I tell you, Emmanuel, a moment ago? What did it mean? God with us. When Jesus was born, it wasn't just any other baby being born. When Jesus was born, he was virgin born. When Jesus was born, God himself with his father. If you'll study out things like the chemistry of the blood, M.R.D. Hahn wrote a book years ago entitled The Chemistry of the Blood. You want to know where the blood comes from in a conception? The blood comes from the father. It doesn't come from the mother. Even though the baby is inside the mother, the blood comes and is created from the seed of the father. That's why it's important that Jesus had been virgin born because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God and the blood that coursed through the veins of Jesus Christ was not my blood or your blood or any old human blood. It wasn't like any other baby. When Jesus was conceived in this world, he was carrying the very blood of deity, the blood of God in his veins. He was born God with us. John 1, 14 through 18 tells us this. And the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, talking about John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's why Jesus came, in order to bring grace to us. For the law was given through Moses. The law condemns us. The law points out we're sinners. The law was never given to save us, is what Romans teaches us. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, Jesus came into this world, and Jesus lived a life that showed what God is like. Jesus lived a sinless life. He showed us the very glory of God. He came into this world in order that we might experience the very grace of God. We use the terminology a lot of times, weak as a baby. Because babies are really... Weak to start with. But you can't fully apply that term to Jesus. Humanly speaking, he was as weak as any other human baby. But supernaturally speaking, the whole power of all the universe of heaven above was invested in that little baby. Jesus, God in the flesh, came into this world. Why did he do it? Why did he come? You see, we don't tend to think about this a lot at Christmas. We push it off to Easter. 
But you see, the incarnation is very important because if we don't have the incarnation, we don't have Easter either. If we don't have Jesus being who the Bible says that he is, that he was, in fact, God in the flesh, why did he come in human form? Here's why. He came to die for my sin if you were sin. He came to be the once and for all, complete, perfect sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews 10, 4 said it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. See, all those animal sacrifices just kind of covered temporarily sin, not take it away. That's why Jesus had to come. Keep reading in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you're around here much, you know I read that verse a lot. I read it every time I can get to it. Because I think that's one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Because in the old sacrificial system, repeatedly again and again and again and again, they had to offer sacrifices. But Jesus comes in as the perfect sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice. He comes in as a human sacrifice, carrying the very blood of deity. And he goes to the cross once and for all, forever, pays a penalty for sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why the incarnation is very important. That's why him being virgin born, God in the flesh, is a must in order for us to have eternal salvation because Jesus as God paid forever the penalty of our sin. And they took his life back up to prove he had done it. That's what Easter's about. But the incarnation is what Christmas is about. And we, we have to focus, even at Christmas, on the incarnation. See, Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 said this. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Remember who he is. He's virgin born. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. Bible scholars say that the cloths that Jesus was wrapped in are a picture or a type of the future burial cloths that he would be wrapped in when he dies. She wraps him up in these cloths and she puts him in a manger showing humility. Jesus didn't come to a mansion, he came to a manger. And that manger leads to the humility, the ultimate humility of dying on a cross, being rejected by his own, being rejected still by many. That's pictured in this statement, there's no room for them in the end. A lot of Christmas plays uh, will really make the innkeeper out to be some mean man, you know. He might be, and I don't know. But the truth of the matter was a lot of people were traveling, and the inn was full, and there wasn't room for him there. And I think it was all by the design of God because in humility, Jesus came in human flesh and was placed in that manger to grow up and down across in humility. The Bible says, cursed is he that dies on a tree. Jesus dies taking our curse and goes to the cross. Luke presents a Christmas story. Shockingly, with no trees, no Christmas lights, no packages, only just a simple manger in animals in a too crowded inn. Everything about the Christmas story points to obscurity. It points to poverty and even rejection. Luke shows the king of kings being born in humble circumstances, being born as a human, born to serve, born to die sacrificially for our sins. And here's what Paul says about that. For you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he's the king of all the universe. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Part of the triune God, the one that spoke creation into existence. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came in humility. Jesus comes and he takes our sin in order that we might have his righteousness. He comes in humble circumstances, even though he's rich in order that you and I might become spiritually rich. Maybe some of you today need to trust in the sovereignty of God. Maybe because of the circumstances in our world, or maybe it's because of what you're facing in your own individual life that maybe no one knows about. Maybe you've been keeping it down inside in your own heart, in your own life, and yet you're dying inside. You're wrestling with a lot of hard circumstances inside. And you're really frustrated or maybe just about to give up hope. Maybe some of you need to trust in the sovereignty of God. Maybe you need to be reminded as we go into this busy, busy Christmas season that God is a sovereign God. Maybe you need to be reminded as you watch the news on television that there's a sovereign God that's still in control. I understand a lot of people are worried, what if it gets worse? What, I mean, what if somehow ISIS gets you know, here in a, in a big way? I understand those worries. I do. But I also know this, if they take my life, it just puts me in the presence of God all the quicker. Because God is a sovereign God. And he sovereignly paid for my sins on the cross. And he led me to faith in him. Some of you today might need to trust in the sovereignty of God. Someone here today might be without hope. And right now, you need to cling to hope. You need to have something that gives you hope. Well, you need to remember that God keeps his promises. Amen. Jesus being born in Bethlehem proves that God keeps his promises. And you need to hold the fact that God will keep the promises that he's made to you in scriptures. And hold those dear to your heart no matter what it is you're facing. Maybe this Christmas season you need to be reminded what it's really about. That it's about the incarnation of God. It's about God becoming man. Going up to a cross when he's about 33 years old. Shedding his blood for my sin and for your sin. So that through faith in him we can be forgiven. And we can be brought into the family of God. That's what the incarnation of God is about. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we tend to take something as precious as Christmas and as holy as as Christmas and we, we make it about everything else other than what it really needs to be about. I pray you guard our hearts as we enter this Christmas season. That you help those of us that know you by faith. To be reminded that you're still in charge. You control history. You control the very exact time and place of Jesus to come into this world. And we need to trust you to so control our lives. And follow you no matter what it is we're facing in the world that we live in. Father, help us this Christmas season to celebrate your promises. To stay focused on how great you are and how great your promises are. To celebrate and find hope in the fact that you always, always, always keep your promises. 
And Father, above everything else, help us to make this Christmas season about the incarnation, about you becoming flesh in order that you might go to the cross and do for us what we cannot do. Pay for us what we cannot pay. And you shed your blood on the cross that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I talked about the incarnation right there in the last of the message. There's another incarnation that can take place. In in Philippians, Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And this other incarnation that can take place is this. The God of all the universe that inhabited Jesus, who was God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, the God of all the universe... It's a different incarnation, but it is an incarnation. When you receive Christ as your Savior, the God of all glory, the God of all the universe comes to live in your life. So if you don't know him this morning, why not start out this Christmas season with an incarnation? God coming to live in you. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come.
ask our ushers if they would come and we're going to receive our offering. But as, as they are coming, I uh, want you to bow your heads and uh, I know we're looking around for a moment. Um, because we're going to pray right before we receive our offering. But I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, uh, Pastor, I am struggling right now. I'm worried about my life. I'm worried about the current events, the world that we live in. Would you say that just by raising your hand and holding it there for a moment? Thank you if you take it back down. Would you also say this morning that as God helps you, you're going to do your best to trust in His sovereignty, to trust in His promises to get you through these things that you're worried about. Would you raise your hand and say, I'm going to trust in God's sovereignty. I'm going to trust in His promises. Thank you. Then one last thing. Christmas is about an incarnation, God becoming flesh. Will you make a commitment today before God that you'll do your best to make Christmas about what it's supposed to be about this year? that you'll be encouraged by the incarnation, that you would remind yourself, remind your family, remind your children what it's about, that God became flesh. Would you raise your hand and say you want to make Christmas about what it should be about, about the incarnation. Father, help us to honor these commitments. Take what we give right now and use it for your glory. Use it to make Jesus famous, that others might know why he came, who he is, what he did for us. Father, help us as we enter this Christmas season not to be so caught up in the world's version that we forget what it's really about. Help us not to take it as something commonplace. The Christmas story is something we've heard, many of us, since we were children in church. Help us not just to take it commonplace and think, well, I've I've heard that. Help us to come with open ears and hearts that we can learn some things from from the Christmas story and apply to our lives. Help us to go beyond Bethlehem and be all that you call us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.